Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14 this morning. Do encourage you to follow along with us, whether that's your physical Bible or a Bible app. Again, on the church app, you can find that on the home tab. This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And today, we're going to look at how they returned from the work. Our main text is Acts chapter 14, verses 20 through 28. We're going to finish out chapter 14 today. I feel like we're making some, some real good progress here in the book of Acts. After like a year and a half, we're about to go to chapter 15. Uh, but uh, over the past couple of weeks, just for some context, we've, we've seen the persecution that Paul and Barnabas endured. We saw the afflictions that Paul himself endured as we saw that he was stoned and drug out of the city of Lystra and, and left for dead. But we also saw how the Lord had faithfully delivered Paul and Barnabas over and over in the cities of Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and, and Lystra, these areas in Asia Minor and the region of Galatia. Uh, and these were things that Paul reminded Timothy about at the end of his, his life, just shortly before his martyrdom, as we looked at a couple times in that passage of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This work that the Holy Spirit had called Paul and Barnabas to, had separated them for, had sent them out into, as we saw in the beginning of Acts chapter 13, has not been easy. And that might be an understatement. There's been lots of opposition and persecution. There's been suffering, not just the stoning, but even Paul traveling from Perga, the over 100-mile journey up into Pisidian Antioch, dealing with a severe illness that he talked about in the book of Galatians when writing to these churches. Things were not easy. They were difficult, but the Lord had been with them. The Spirit of God has been empowering and, and using them. The Word of God's been going out and been received by multitudes of Jews and even more Gentiles who were now saved and called disciples of Jesus. And the Father has been glorified in the midst of all of it. But now in our portion of Scripture this morning, we're going to see what took place as, as Paul and Barnabas clearly sensed a completion of what the Holy Spirit had sent them out to do and now began to make their way back to their home church in Syrian Antioch on the Orontes River. Again, uh, just for clarity, there was like somewhere upwards of like 17 or 18 cities named Antioch in that day. And so to, just to say Antioch was not really clarity enough geographically to help us understand. We say Pisidian Antioch. It was Antioch near Pisidia. We say Syrian Antioch on the Orontes River because that was the area that you would find that specific uh, city and the church that Paul and Barnabas had come out of. But we're going to see as they return home that the Lord is still very much working powerfully, even in this return trip. And so with that context in mind, let's read verses 20 through 22. Verse 20 of Acts chapter 14 says, however, this is right after Paul was stoned, not that kind of stoning. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We looked at the first part of verse 20 last week, how powerful of a witness this would have been as Paul, by the miraculous power and grace of God, got up from having just been stoned and drug out of the city of Lystra to then get up, go back into the city that he had just been stoned at and drug out of, and to stay the night there. Thinking about the impact that that would have had on the people of that city who even were a part of that stoning. Maybe were people who had picked up stones and and had thrown them at Paul and now saw this dude walking back into their city. No doubt a little wrecked, but by the grace of God, he he was making his way back in, staying the night. Such a, a powerful witness that that would have been of the reality of the power of God and the presence of God at work in Paul's life. But we see in the second part of verse 20 that the next day, Paul, who no doubt must have been hurting still after the stoning the day before, he departed with Barnabas to the city of Derby, which was still in the region of Lyconia, which was about a 50-mile journey southeast from Lystra. This is now the furthest east in their trip that they have gone. At this point now in Paul's first missionary journey, and I say Paul's first missionary journey because Barnabas is not going to be joining Paul again after this for the other two. But he and Barnabas have traveled upwards of about 300 miles as they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in the work that the Holy Spirit had for them. They get to Derby Again, there's no mention of a synagogue, so there's little to no Jewish presence in the city of Derby, And they preach the gospel there and made many disciples. There's no word of any opposition, which was a big change for them as they preached the gospel. And their gospel proclamation led to many Gentiles receiving Jesus' salvation, becoming disciples of of Jesus. This is just further reinforcing the things that Paul later would write to the church in Rome, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for any who would believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul, it wasn't just theoretical for him. He saw the gospel power at work in his ministry. He saw that as he just faithfully and simply presented the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jews and Gentiles both saw in Jesus their Savior, the one who could save them, the one who cared about them, the one that died for them. It didn't matter what their ethnic background was. It didn't matter what language they spoke. It didn't matter what shade of color their skin had. Jesus was for them. Jesus was the Savior for them. Paul saw that to be true in his own life and in the lives of others. And this was true in the city of Derby as many became disciples. Many heard the gospel and grabbed a hold of these truths about Jesus 
that would transform them and their eternity. But with that in mind, throughout the course of our study, with the insight that Luke gives in verse 22 that Paul and Barnabas were strengthening the souls of the disciples in these different places that they traveled now at the end of their trip as they return back, I'm going to point out eight things as we make our way through our study about how Paul and Barnabas strengthen the soul of the disciples that are also things that I believe God wants to use today to strengthen us as his disciples. So it's not just going to be us going, oh, that's so great that the Lord strengthened these people, but to see that God wants to strengthen us as his people still today in the same sorts of ways, strengthening our souls, which is really interesting because that soul is the seed of the mind. The strengthening our mind and how much of everything in our lives flows from this place of our mind. All the decisions we make. The ways that we respond. It goes back to the place of our mind. When, when God has the throne of our minds, he will have the throne of our hearts. He'll have the throne of every part of our lives because everything flows really from that place oftentimes. And so with that, the first thing I want to point out about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples is in verse 21. It's that they strengthen them by preaching and teaching God's word. Disciples were being made through the teaching and preaching of the word of God, both in people getting saved, but also in believers being equipped, growing, maturing in Christ Jesus. It's important, and it's an important reminder that disciples cannot be made if the gospel is not proclaimed. This is the crucial first part of fulfilling Jesus' great commission, and it can't be bypassed. We're to make disciples, but this requires us to share the gospel message which can save someone's soul, can bring them into the family and kingdom of God, can, can take them to a place where they're now able to be identified as a disciple of Jesus. But know that even after someone becomes a disciple, that that discipleship is a, is a lifelong commitment to being a learner who sits at the feet of Jesus and seeks to model their life after Jesus. And, and God will bring other disciples around us to disciple us in the ways of Jesus. And what happens here on Sunday mornings is just one aspect of discipleship taking place as God's word goes out. This is sort of more large-scale discipleship. We see Jesus interacting with people on multiple different levels of discipleship. Large-scale gatherings of multitudes of people. We see that he had the 70 that he sent out. That was another sort of group on a slightly smaller scale than maybe the thousands. He had his 12, and then he had an inner three, but all of them were with an intentionality where Jesus was teaching. 
And not just teaching, but he was imparting his life to them. He was living out the effects of, of a, a victorious life by the Spirit of God for the people around him that saw him and ate with him and heard him and were touched by him. Jesus' discipleship was beyond just the, hey, let me tell you a bunch of things and now go on your way. But Jesus lived a life where everything about him was a form of discipleship with those that interacted with him. Sunday mornings is an aspect of discipleship, but it shouldn't be the only way that discipleship is happening in each of our lives. As we grow in the Lord and his word, he wants to us to share his word with others so that others can grow in him too. When he's pouring into us, he will also want to pour out of us and he wants to do the same with others, pouring into them so that he can use them to pour into us. A continual sort of cycle of discipled people being discipled and then making disciples of others. Please understand this. You and I will never come to a point where we stop being disciples. We look at the apostles and we go, oh, but they were apostles. But they ne- the apostles never stopped being disciples. They were first and foremost people that sat at the feet of Jesus, who were surrendered to Jesus, who lived lives uh, of worship and service to Jesus Christ. And you and I, it's the same for us. We're never going to come to a place where we're the master who just teaches others. No, we're always going to be the people that need to be taught, poured into, encouraged, prayed for, ministered to. He's designed it this way because it's through the word of God that real growth and maturity takes place. And this is... What are the reasons why we prioritize the word of God here at Calvary Chapel, Walnut Creek? But it's also in verse 21 that I believe we see the second thing about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples. And that's that they strengthen them by spending time with them. Notice that after they made disciples in Derby, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. These were areas where they had just faced strong persecution, right? They were expelled out of Pisidian Antioch. There was a plot in Iconium to stone them, and they fled. And then in, Dur- in, in Lystra, Paul just flat out was stoned and left for dead. And now they're making their way back through these areas. Returning to these areas would have been a real sacrifice on their part, it, It could have cost them their lives to be back in these places where people knew them and wanted to kill them. And it would have required a selflessness, more concerned with the well-being of these disciples than their own safety, to come back through these areas and spend time with the disciples that had been made there. But that sacrifice was worth it. Because there was ministry to take place that could not take place in the same way apart from them actually being present with these people. And I think of that for us today. 
there is a ministry of presence that cannot be properly substituted. Ways that God desires to work through his people. As his people spend time with each other, God using me in your life and then him using you in my life. And it requires some sacrifice and and selflessness. It requires time and closeness of proximity for all of us. Time spent, there is a strengthening that happened of just them being with the disciples. But this leads me into the third thing, which really has to accompany this second thing of of presence. Because it's not just time spent, but how we use that time spent with each other. Look again at verse 22. It says, They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. This third thing about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples we see in verse 22 is that they strengthen them by exhorting them in the faith. See, in their time spent with the disciples, Paul and Barnabas strengthened, and that word strengthened meaning to confirm or to, to mark by firm de- determination or resolution. They strengthened the souls of the disciples, but they also exhorted them. That word exhort to, means to, to urge or implore or to encourage a response or action. Exhorting them to continue, to remain, to stay in the faith. This was happening on an individual level, but it was also happening on a corporate or collective level as the lord was using paul and barnabas to further establish the churches that had been planted in these cities that they were now revisiting they strengthened them and they exhorted them so that ultimately these disciples would continue that these churches would continue and not depart from the faith not move away from that place of trust or belief in Jesus, that they would stay grounded in the apostles' teachings, the doctrines that they had received. And this was an important exhortation in light of the reality that entering the kingdom of God was going to be preceded by many tribulations. Something Paul was already an example of for them. And this is still an important exhortation for us today. You know, we we do people a great disservice if we try to make it seem as though coming to Christ is just everything is gravy. It's like you get saved and you're automatically, it's like heaven on earth. And yet that's, That's contrary to what the apostles taught. It's contrary to what Jesus taught. It's contrary to what the reality of their lives was. It's not make every day a Friday because it's not like that. Every day is not a Friday. A lot of days are just like Monday. Some, you know, people that retire, they'll say, you know, it's like six Saturdays and a Sunday. But seriously, like, it, it, we're told here, like, 
the kingdom awaits us, but getting there, be, as, we, as we move in that direction to glory, to future glory, what we're told in scripture oftentimes and what we see through the lives of the apostles and even through Jesus is that the way to glory comes through suffering. Suffering leads to glory. Paul says, look, you're gonna, the kingdom of God, he's not saying, look, go through the tribulations, maybe you'll get into the kingdom. He's saying, on the way to the kingdom, on the way to that place of glory, of being with Jesus, of seeing him face to face, there's gonna be trouble. It's gonna be hard. There's gonna be trials. There's gonna be sufferings and afflictions. Be assured that that's what's awaiting us. And there's a strengthening that happens through knowing something in advance, right? When you know something is coming, it's not that you're fully prepared, but you're not blindsided in the same way. You and I experience hard things in this life, but it's not any different than what Jesus experienced. Jesus modeled that for us. If he went through suffering, why would we think that we're going to be exempt from it? A disciple is not greater than his master. (laughs) If they hated him, they're going to hate us, Jesus said. We're to expect these things. And you and I might not feel super encouraged by someone saying this to us. Hey, I want to encourage you today. You're going to have trouble. It's going to stink. It's going to be real hard. It's going to be have suffering. Thank you. No, I mean, no thank you. Like, don't tell me that. Don't you put that curse on me, Ricky Bobby. But truly, this is the reality for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. This promise of many tribulations was meant to have a strengthening effect on these disciples who were already seeing persecution towards Paul and Barnabas, were going to experience it personally themselves. But this is meant to strengthen us to preparing us, knowing that eternity with Jesus awaits us. I shared this passage of scripture with you last week but i purposely waited to show you the following verse until today wasn't meant to be sneaky i just there was a purpose behind it check out what paul again wrote to timothy in second timothy chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 we looked at 10 and 11 last week he tells timothy but you have carefully followed my doctrine manner of life purpose faith long suffering love perseverance persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. But look what he says in following in verse 12. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus himself said this in John 16, 33, the night before He was crucified as he was speaking to his disciples. He said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, living for Jesus, living according to his word, it's going to cause us to suffer persecution. People will hate us because we belong to Jesus and we're seeking to live a godly life that honors him. But in Jesus, we're able to have peace. We're able to be of good cheer regardless of the tribulation, regardless of the troubles or trials that we go through because he has overcome the world. He is victorious and his victory has secured our eternity being with him in glory. See, the the reality of the future promised kingdom of God, the glory of God, the presence of Jesus Christ in glory, it, it should outweigh any possible anxiety or fear that would come along with this promise of suffering, this promise of trouble. That you and I would take heart in Jesus as we go through those things. Knowing that we're in good company because Jesus has already gone before us in all of these things. And he knows what we're going through. He knows. He didn't excuse himself from suffering. He went through it that he might be a faithful high priest who knows our weaknesses. Let's move on, read verse 23. It says, so when they had appointed elders in every church, they, uh, I'm sorry, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So as they traveled back through these areas, strengthening and exhorting the disciples, they were also appointing elders in every church, which means that churches were being planted by Paul and Barnabas when they were first traveling through these areas, preaching the gospel and spending time with the disciples, teaching them about the faith that they were to continue in. They didn't appoint elders right away. Some time passed. They spent time discipling these people before moving on and then returning through these areas. They spent more time with the disciples with them, discipling them and watching them, seeing no doubt who's, who God's hand of anointing was upon, who showed the characteristics of an elder or overseer that Paul would later write about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Which men among these churches that God was calling into these roles in his church in these different cities? And this is where we find the fourth thing about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples and that's that they strengthen them by appointing leaders in the churches there was a strengthening element in what they were doing in putting in place godly leaders and this shows us the value that paul placed on believers being connected to a local body of believers with god ordained and anointed leaders overseeing those churches organization and clear leadership was necessary with with elders who were spiritual leaders who could continue to shepherd these flocks these elders were men of godly integrity with a shepherd's heart who could feed and serve and tend to and and love jesus's sheep they were placed into these roles because the holy spirit 
of God had made them overseers who could be among the flock. And this is still God's design today. And I, I pray here in our church that God raises up more leaders after his heart here in our local fellowship who will feed his sheep with knowledge and understanding as God spoke about in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Paul and Barnabas appointed these elders in every church and they prayed with fasting. Now, I don't doubt that there was already lots of prayer and even fasting that happened before making these decisions, but prayer and fasting also followed as these elders were recognized and prayed for. But this also leads me to the fifth thing about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples in this verse and that's that they, they strengthen them by modeling lives of devotion to Jesus. Again, they prayed with fasting, which was what they were doing back in Syria and Antioch when the Holy Spirit spoke to the church leaders and commissioned Paul and Barnabas for this missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas lived out lives of devotion and worship to Jesus. And I believe that through their prayer and fasting, they also modeled to these disciples and leaders, and for us today, what devotion to Jesus looked like, and the importance of dependency upon Jesus, things that we should prioritize continually. I want to ask us, is our worship, is our devotion having an influencing effect on other people? Guys, I believe our worship should be a witness. I believe our worship can be a witness. I believe our, our, our devotion can be a testimony to the reality of the power of God at work in our lives. It's something that other people actually need to see. They need to see that Jesus is real in our lives, not just because we're telling them that he's real, but because we're living out lives that are, that are showing forth that Jesus is alive, that the joy of the Lord is present in our lives, that as we worship him, we're not people that other people would look at and go, wow, they must really hate their lives. There's a lot of people who are just sour they become bitter and hardened. They're so angry, and they're so angry that there's not any attractiveness to their lives. And by that, I mean there's nothing there to show the grace and love and power and care of Jesus Christ for them. You and I have to be careful in these days as as anger has become the norm, as, as opposition to certain things has become the norm, that we would not be known by what we're against, but much more, much more by who we are about, who we're for, who saved us, who's working who has a plan. 
who's not phased by the things that we're seeing in this world. God is not in a fetal position in heaven sucking his thumb. But I think sometimes we can portray him in that way by how we react, how we conduct ourselves in the midst of all the stuff that we're seeing. Lives of devotion to Jesus. When you've seen somebody who just loves Jesus and their life is being transformed by Jesus, there is something about that that makes you want what they have. And that's not, that's not like, oh, well, you know what? That's just for them because that person's just really excited about the Lord. No, that's supposed to be us. That should be us all the time. Jesus hasn't changed. If there's any changing, it's us. His word hasn't changed. His power hasn't diminished. If we're seeing a lack of power, if we're seeing a lack of joy, if we're having a lack of peace, it's not because God's lacking in supply. It means that we need to go back to the source. It's it's that we need to abide in the vine. We need to receive from Jesus, be overwhelmed by him and not by our circumstances. Lives of devotion. There's a strengthening of the soul that happens as devotion is lived out. But this led them into commending these disciples and newly appointed leaders to the Lord. This is the sixth thing about the strengthening of the souls of the disciples I believe we see here. They strengthened them by commending them to the Lord. What were Paul and Barnabas doing? They were making sure, because they were leaving. They were spending time, but then they were going to leave. Who knows when the next time they would come back. They were making sure these disciples, individually, these churches, corporately, that they knew that they belonged to the Lord Jesus, who they had believed in. We're Jesus' people. They weren't Paul and Barnabas' people. They were Jesus' church. They were Jesus' disciples. That word commended speaks of entrusting into the care or protection of someone. They entrusted these people, they entrusted these churches into the Lord's care and protection, putting them into the Lord's capable and powerful hands to see these disciples and churches continue to grow and flourish because ultimately Jesus is the one who will build his church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so for us, we belong to the Lord. We're in his care and protection. He's the head of this church and he's the head of our lives. He's the chief shepherd and no matter what we're facing he is with us and he has got us and there is a strengthening that comes from that knowledge that we are his he has us let's move on read verses 24 through 26 it says and after they had passed through pisidia they came to pamphylia now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God 
for the work which they had completed. Here we find the route that Paul and Barnabas took as they returned to Syrian Antioch. Again, the place they initially were sent out on for this first missionary journey. They revisited all the places that they had already gone through and preached and made disciples. But this time, once they got to Perga, they preached the word there, which was something we weren't told explicitly the first time they arrived there. Again, because it's possible Paul became ill in Perga, very possibly with malaria, and that his illness made them move up into the higher elevation towards Pisidian Antioch before they could have began to preach there in Perga. Now, officially, there wasn't a city on this journey where they didn't preach the gospel after spending time there. And once they got to the coast, to the seaport city of Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. This is roughly a total of about 500 miles of travel by sea on ship and roughly six to 700 miles traveling by foot through the mountainous region there in southern or south central Turkey. But here in verse 26, I, I believe we see the seventh thing about how they strengthen the souls of the disciples. And that's that they strengthen them by completing the work. Paul and Barnabas had been commended. They had been entrusted to the grace of God when they were sent out for the, the work that the Holy Spirit had for them. Now, a year or two earlier. Now we see that they were faithful to complete, to finish what the Spirit of God has sent them out to do, which was a testimony to the grace of God in their lives. His grace seen in the completion of the work. You know, in this day and age where long-term faithfulness, it's easier to find short-term faithfulness. Long-term faithfulness is in short supply. There is a strengthening element to seeing someone be faithful to the Lord and seeing things through to completion. A strengthening that reminds us that if God can do that with them by his grace, he can do that with us too. Making us faithful people who represent the faithfulness of our God to others. I think about it in the context of marriage and granted there's a lot of reasons why a marriage can fail. Not always the fault of the individual people within the marriage or sometimes both sometimes one but i've seen over the years how oftentimes discouraging it can be for other people maybe single people or even newly married people to see a marriage not last maybe so, see someone be unfaithful in a marital relationship that they had once respected and trusted and think gosh if if they couldn't make it work how can i and to think about the discouraging element of that on the reverse end of things, when we see faithfulness lived out, it, it bolsters us. It gives us a confidence. It strengthens us to go, gosh, God can do that. God can work in that way. Faithfulness can be seen. 
And to, and to be strengthened personally by that in a way where we can feel like we can keep going, like God can see us through. God can bring healing. He can make things work. And how important it is for us to be looking to our faithful God, to be asking him to make us to be faithful people in these days that others would be strengthened by our example of faithfulness, not because we're just so great at it, but because our gracious and powerful God is working that into our lives. But let's look now at our last two verses, verses 27 and 28. Verse 27 says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is where I, I see the, the eighth and final thing about how they strengthened the souls of the disciples in verse 27, and that's that they strengthened them by reporting what God had done. They get back to Antioch, they gather the church together to give them a report. And I, I love this. I love updates of what God has done. I, I love updates on a personal level. I love updates when, when missionaries report back what God's doing in an area, when a, a ministry team does something, when an outreach takes place. I, I love, because it, it's, there's a strengthening effect that happens when you hear what God has done, what God did. And this is what Paul and Barnabas did. Paul and Barnabas saw their return to their sending church, again, after the one to two years they'd been gone on this missionary journey, as an occasion for testimony to brag about what the Lord did and give him all the glory. And, the, and there's a strengthening, again, in, in hearing what God has done with others, they reported, they testified about all God had done with them. This means that while Paul and Barnabas recognized they were instruments in God's hands, they declared that God was the one working in them and through them in all that he brought about, that God had done it. They weren't taking the credit And one of the specific things Luke notes about, uh, that Luke notes that they praised God for was that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This report made it clear that the gospel went out in a, in a significant way to Gentiles like it never had before up to this point in the early church. It makes it clear that, that the Gentiles receive salvation by faith. In Jesus, not Jesus plus the law. Some of the things that they're going to have to kind of come against in chapter 15 with this Jerusalem council. And, and it's clear that it was God, by their report, who swung wide open the door for the Gentiles to be brought into his kingdom. God had done it. And after making that report, they stayed there a long time 
with the disciples in Antioch, marking the end of their first missionary journey, but definitely not the last. But there's much to take away here of how God strengthened and wants to strengthen our souls as his disciples. I don't know about you, but there's not been a moment in my life where I didn't need strengthening. Even when things are going great, I I still need that strengthening. Oftentimes when we feel like everything is fine, that's usually the moment where we stop depending on the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It's in times of great victory where oftentimes we're the most susceptible to temptation because we start to rest in, well, gosh, everything's just great now. And I don't really have to be on guard anymore. I don't really have to fight so much. I don't, I don't really have to like just be always alert to the devouring desire of the enemy. But guys, it, in victory and in failure and struggles and in places of encouragement, when everything's going great and when everything seems to be out of control, you and I need to be strengthened by the Lord. And he wants to use us in each other's lives to bring about that strengthening. I, I, I hope this morning that that's something we would take away. That the body of Christ is a necessity. And I understand that in this season that things have changed and ministry has changed. That the thing that hasn't changed is our need to be strengthened in the Lord. It's our need for other people, other disciples to come alongside, whatever that looks like. That we would be continually discipled and making disciples. Guys, this morning, I exhort us, continue in the faith. Continue. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus because there's so much to distract us. There's so much to get focused on and and start to make that our thing. That's what we're about. When Jesus should be the thing that we're about. He should be the one that we're about. He should be supreme over every part of our lives, not an accessory to the thing that's supreme in our lives. Would our souls be strengthened today? Would we be exhorted today to continue in the faith, knowing that through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God? Guys, hard times are going to come. Things are going to get rough. They already are rough. But we have Jesus with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Would his joy be our strength today? Amen? We're going to transition here into a time of taking communion together as I spilled my juice all over here, knocking it over with my Bible. What do they call that, like a patina on the wood?
Sorry, Julian. <laughs> Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I love referencing this passage because this revelation he received from the Lord about, uh, about Jesus's institution of the communion elements is powerful in, in his follow-up as well. But he said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of, of me. Paul, as a afterthought to that, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We as disciples have these unifying sacraments, one of them being baptism, one being the, the Lord's supper that he instituted the, the night of his betrayal. And we get to remember what Jesus did together. That we get to look at this bread. And I like matzah a lot better because I feel like it speaks a greater story to us. The, the scorch marks that remind us of the bruising, the, the, the beatings, the, the, the holes in the bread that remind us of his hands that were pierced and his feet that were pierced to the cross. But we see here in this bread, an unleavened bread, that Jesus was without sin. The one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And we look at this bread and we take it together, remembering that Jesus gave his life for us. He willingly went to the cross, willingly. And so as we take the bread this morning as disciples of Jesus, let's, let's do that in remembrance of him. Would you take the element with me? And the juice representing the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of sins, to put our sins away, to forgive us. His blood that brings in a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Not of performance, not of how well you're doing to find acceptance in the eyes of God, but what Jesus did, what he accomplished, what he finished upon the cross. That you and I take this juice together as disciples of Jesus remembering what he did, but celebrating also what he's done, what he's brought about for you and me. A whole new covenant for us to be able to come to the Father on the basis of what Jesus has done. And so this morning, we take the juice together. We drink it in remembrance of Jesus. Let's do that together. Lord Jesus, we thank you as the worship team comes back up. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken. Lord, your blood that was shed. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that you extend to us now. Because of what you provided on the cross, Lord Jesus. Being our 
substitute, being the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus becoming our propitiation, taking the wrath of the Father in our place, that what was meant for us, you took. That the guilty would go free and the guiltless one would be considered a curse on the cross. Jesus, we're thankful that your blood has ushered in a brand new covenant for us. A covenant of grace. That now we can come to the Father on the basis of what you've done, Jesus, and not in our own righteousness, which we already know is just filthy rags in your sight. And Lord, today we just recognize, Lord, that we are in need of strengthening. We need you, Lord. We need your grace. We need your power at work. Lord, we need your help. But Lord, at the same time, Lord, we recognize that, God, you want to make us those people who come alongside and strengthen others. Lord, we ask, God, that you would be doing that work, Lord, of strengthening that, that you desire to do. Lord God, that you would grow us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Lord, that our lives would look more and more like Jesus's and less and less like our carnal selves. Lord, that we would be a holy people unto you. God, a people whose lives and words, Lord, are a witness to those around us. God, would your word be on our lips. Lord, would we be looking for opportunities, God, to pour into one another what you poured into us. God, that we would see the importance, Lord, of relationships in these days. God, of discipleship. Lord, would greater ministry take place within this body of believers. And God, will we be people who are making disciples, Lord, as we proclaim the gospel to the lost. Lord, strengthen us today. Lord, you know where we're at. Lord, you know maybe what trials some are going through even right now, Lord. God, would you uphold them today? Be near to them, God, today. Would you see them through, Lord? And Lord, if there's anybody here in person or online that's joined us, God, that doesn't have a personal saving relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I just encourage you, if that's you today as we're in this attitude of prayer, and you've not first just received the forgiveness of Jesus, the salvation that he freely offers by grace, That's being extended to you today. Jesus wants to save. He's a savior. That's what he does. It's who he is. And if you need that salvation, would you stand where you're at? If that's anybody here, that you'd make that profession of faith today publicly to say, that's me.
I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. Maybe somebody online joining, that's you. I just encourage you in your own heart just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose from the grave in victory. That you're offering me today salvation and forgiveness. Eternal life. Real hope. Real joy. Real peace. To say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I turn to you by faith today. Jesus, I believe in you. Would you save me? Would you give me the promise of eternal life? And seal me with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, would you empower me by your Spirit and fill me to live for you? I just encourage you as you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. And just encourage you, if you did make that decision today, that you'd follow up with us and just let us know that you did, whether that's through Facebook or through our church app or email. But let us know so that we can encourage you and pray for you and come alongside you. But Lord, as we respond to your word now in these songs of praise, God, we pray that you would, Lord, just continue to pour out upon us. Lord, that we would overflow with your joy. God, that our worship would be a testimony to your reality, your power at work in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.